0: Well, good morning, folks. Everybody doing well this morning? Great, great, great. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning. Uh, We'll, as I was mentioning a little bit earlier to Mark, uh, starting with that very, very, very big picture on leadership. Uh, My goal is to cone down uh, so much so that by the time we're talking about transactional, transformational uh, stuff a little bit later today, um, it's very specific in terms of some of the things I've seen uh, in leadership. I don't know if it's on, but it sounds like it might be on. Um, but certainly as it as it relates to the challenges we face, and so I want to take a very big picture, the next level of big picture in the upside-down pyramid today, uh, as we talk a little bit more about what I call the real meaning. And so as I converse with you and share with you, these are some of the things I've researched, some of the things I've found. Uh, It's kind of a shameless plug, but um, didn't bring enough books, Steve. By the time I thought about it, ran out the door. Uh, This is our second edition. My co-author and I, Dr. Funk and myself, uh, right as a result of our uh, projects coming out of uh, Regent University, where we both attended for our doctorates, uh, we pulled uh, our material together uh, from our projects and tried to make it uh, reader-friendly. Uh, something that was really created for a doctoral project and tried to make it a little bit. We, I don't, I'm not sure how well we did, but we tried um, because we, there were so many resources. But here's what happened. And I'm going to talk about this as I talk about the real meaning. Um, the cover tells you a lot in terms of you have this individual who's obviously out at sea with a with a aircraft carrier that can probably hold close to 5000 plus people. And here you have this individual who is basically calling for help. What's interesting uh, in terms of the real meaning of leadership and some of the things we're going to talk about here in a moment uh, from our perspective is that my colleague, uh, co-author, uh, spent uh, quite a number of years in the Navy. And as you heard today, I, I was in the Marine Corps from 80, 1986 in the Marine Corps Reserve, an anti-tow tank company out of uh, Miami, Florida. And what we found as we were conversing in the preparation preparation for uh, creating this book is that we had a lot of things in common in terms of what what is known as nautical concepts. And so even if you think about a lifesaver, which is this thing that's thrown out to you when you're in the water and need help, we started using those as the tags that we put all of these helping concepts on. So what's a lifesaver? What could help you work through this issue? What could help you work through that? But then also taking into consideration, if you transpose a nautical concept to our local churches, you have churches that have a handful of people. When you start, maybe just one or two people uh, toward 100. And by the way, they say 100 people is the first mark to break. But the average church in America is less than 100. And if you could break that, then the next next barrier is 200. Then the next barrier leaps by hundreds and gets to 500. And then the next barrier is 1,000. And it kind of goes on like that. But what's interesting, if you could transpose what I've just said about this aircraft carrier, and you think about a church that's 5,000 members large, that would equate to the amount of people that can be taken care of on an aircraft carrier. But let's look at a kayak that basically is just one person. So if you decide to take, what's one of your rivers that you might get on a kayak, or canals or something around town during the spring or summer, you might go for a little... All right. So Lake great great, great Great mind, and so fairly calm. Mm. Get, (laughs) I don't know, I don't know. Somebody, someone different. Yeah, I guess it depends, right? And so you get on that kite. Who are you responsible for? Yourself. You and that kayak, right? But let's just say you get a canoe and you got one more other person in there. Who are you responsible for? You and that one other person. Small church, next size church. You get a small craft that can hold four five people, ten people. The bigger the ship, the more responsibility you have. It sounds simplistic, but the harder it is to maneuver that ship, the bigger it gets. So you think about uh, a ship that's five thousand to turn that thing around, to come back and pick up that one guy that went overboard. If his fall didn't kill him. Then. The time it takes to get back to him, especially if it's frigid waters, might, in a sense, be useless. So we call it man overboard. And uh, we took the other title off in our second edition edition. But I'm going to tell you what it was. Just just you think it's a little cynical. We weren't trying to be that. It was just this is how we've seen it. Right. So it was called man overboard. And here was the close and the leaders that watched him sink. We took that off. You know why? Leaders said they didn't like it. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about not taking care of their people. Pastor, how do you, how did you let so-and-so, you know, let this happen? You know, all that stuff that happens and complaints come to you. Like, you are specifically in control of what everybody else does in your church. But they hold you responsible. For the teachings and the, and the, and the stewardship and the mentorship. So that's what that's all about. So shameless, I only have 10 of those there. Uh, I will reference some of it, especially as it relates to the core values we're going to talk about here in a little bit. And so that's there. You can also get it on Amazon. So that's what I want to tell you. Go out to Amazon and, uh, write email Hawkins or Dr. Ed Funk, F-U-N-K, and, uh, you can get it and it'll send it to you. I think it's one of those things where they create it, create it and ship it as needed. Oh, this will really be hard because I'm, I'm really a hands-perking New Yorker, you know. I talk with my hands, so I may have to. Is it okay if I attempt to put this microphone down? I don't know what's going to work. Yeah, I'm clipped up over here. Oh, and by the way, our talk today, <laughs> glad you reminded me. We're talking um, in many ways in this first session about what I call the real meaning of leadership. And so there's a couple of things I want to introduce to you. Uh, I know that you guys. How many involved in leadership? I I suspect most of you are. Uh, How many of you? It's been a while since you've been like the key leader, like the primary. Just curious. Anybody? Has it been a while? Like you were, you were the primary leader at one time, and now you're doing other things. Okay. Watch this. How many of you are followers? (sighs) I see. I see. A lot of people don't know that. That's not a title. That should be a lifestyle. Right. But we're title oriented. I set you up for that, by the way. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> that was a setup. You know, one of those little things to think about. I do this with my students all the time. So. All right. So you got your pens, papers you want to write. I'm, I've been a- I'm asking. Um, I'll probably stop and ask you to ask me questions along the way, but I'll stop specifically and uh, have you to ask questions as we go along. So. Um, I start out with this picture and as I was trying to get the lights dimmed a little bit um, because this is just a scenery that says, you know, on a perfect day, the beginning of a day or perhaps the ending of a day, you look outside and you recognize, you know, this, Lord, this, is, this is a glorious day, just beautiful outside this morning and you get that phone call that so-and-so is having some issues or your leader can't do something that you've asked them to do or one of your leaders has been um, involved with something that's going to... Can be considered to be a detriment in your in your scenario uh, where you lead. Uh, it's amazing how fast things can go downhill. You ever notice that? Uh, much faster downhill than going uphill. Uh, talking about that, uh, just like I, I do uh, in the last year, last twelve months, um, I've ran I've ran by the grace of God, ran two full marathons and four half marathons. All right. So the thing about this, I wait until I get to my fifties to start running marathons. Does that make any sense? Does <laughs> That make any sense? And and what we were talking about earlier is I found that my metabolism certainly went on slow mode right about 28 or 30 years old and got slower since. Still like Twinkies. Oh, by the way, by the way, anybody like Pop-Tarts? By the way, did you know that one is a serving? Something's wrong about that. Something's not right about that, is it? They come in pairs. What are you thinking? I'm going to eat them both. You come in that little tinfoil thing for the Pop Tarts? I looked, and it wasn't until I started paying attention to calories that one Pop Tart has almost 300 something calories in it. One Twinkie, you know, 180, 200 something calories. That's a lot of sugar, right? Uh, but not burning that. So anyway, uh, last weekend, last Sunday, uh, for the first time in, in Florida, uh, between St. Pete and Tampa, there's this long bridge that was rebuilt in the, in the late 80s after one was knocked down by a barge. And it's a fairly narrow bridge, only four lanes, two and two. But for the first time, they opened it for one way, uh, to call it the 10K run. So to run over the bridge and start so, talking about uphill and downhill. Uh, it's so ominous looking at that bridge. Anybody have been over a real tall bridge? It's so ominous, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to oh, man, that's tall. But as I'm running it versus a car, as I'm running, I'm still like it's, it's got a little something to it, but it's not that bad. You get on the top, it kind of windy, and then it's time to come down and realize how much speed you pick up. So the speed I lost going up, I picked up on the way back down. That makes sense? So sometimes in life, what I find these correlations like this, God is always showing me that there's some things that start out as beautiful and it may be tough going up. But with God's help, as I mentioned earlier, I believe he'll help us pick things up as we get on the other side. But it doesn't always start that way. That's the challenge with leadership. Am I right? So pastors, leaders, I say to you, you can't do it all. We try to do it all. If you're not a delegator, uh, you don't feel good about delegation. I'm going to tell you the truth. Sometimes I'd rather do it myself. Do I have anybody out there? I'm going to get churchy for a minute. Can I get a witness? Sometimes I just rather do it myself. Because I know what I want. I don't feel like I don't even feel like telling people what I want them to do. I just rather just go and just go do it. But the larger your organization is, the harder it is for you to do all the stuff that needs to get done. So in this picture. This pastor, and you can't see it well, he has the extension cord on his shoulder. By the way, he has his jacket on, his suit jacket on. He has dad, so he's still a father. He's got his T-shirt on. He's got his construction hat on. He's got his Bible because he's preparing to preach the word. He's got a vacuum right in the back, and he's got a duster in his left hand. Oh, and by the way, a tool belt around his, around his waist. Sometimes we are trying to be all things to all people, get all kinds of things done. Uh, at, if you are doing that, the challenge is, and I get it, there may not be people who are volunteering to help. But if there are people, we need to let them do what God called them to do so we can do what God called us to do, right? It's efficient. It's effective to do it that way, but it's not easy. So I simply want you to help me kind of make that known today. If you will, I'm going to do this all session, so just hang with me. Look at across from you or next to you and say, you can't do it all. Just tell somebody next to you. I know, I know, I know. So here's the real. Here's what Hawkins calls the real meaning. And I'm going to break down several elements of it as we get closer. First of all, let's get to the basics. Right. So when we talk about leadership, we understand Maxwell has told us about a thousand million times. um, uh, Dr. Miles Monroe has told us about a thousand million times. Really, when it comes down to it, leadership is an influence relationship. So usually they just say leadership is influence. We get that. That is about as simple as you can make it. Right. Leadership is an influence relationship. But. After we get past that thought, the next question is how. How? How do we go about influencing people? Not an easy thing to do, Um, because in part of influencing, if we're not careful, it can be on the edge of. Make sure you make note of this. It can be on the edge of on any given day. Manipulation. I know you don't want to hear that, but I just thought I'd tell you because it's not. It's a fine line. Right. And what makes the fine line between manipulation and influence for the good is that this is something I want done more than the person I'm asking to do it may want to do it. It's a tough one. Every time I think about it, I say, oh, God, how many times have I done that? All right. So how do I get beyond this simple understanding of influence? Because it's not easy. So much so that I understand the interplay between Leadership, followership, influence, teamwork, all of these things have to work together for you to be considered. Let's just say we're talking about legacy for a quick moment. Years after you, you have gone on to be with the Lord. When it comes down to legacy, will people say about you that you were a person who had no problem being on the team to get the job done as a leader? That as a leader, you had no problem sharing the victory and the glory, so to speak. If we can do that, which is, which is something that you have to stop and think about, who else should be getting credit for what's, what's considered successful? If we can share this with others, if we can even get others to join us, then this becomes a much glorious scenario than it would be if we were doing it by ourselves. So in the real meaning of leadership, not only is it about influence, It's about the interplay between leadership, followership, and teamwork. And guess what? How many hands were raised a moment ago and said you're a leader? You have a title. How many have a title? I'm not setting you up now, honestly. All right. How often do you switch your hats between in one second you are the leader and the very next second you're subordinate to somebody else's leadership? And the very next second you're a part of a team, right? How fast does that happen sometimes? The time you walk out the door to the time you walk in the next door to the time you come back, just like hats flipping. But how do you teach your people to do the same thing and be flexible that just because you have the title doesn't mean you need to walk around with the title when you should be following right now? Right. When you should be a part of the team, no titles. Come in, folks, no titles. Just everybody do what needs to be done so so to speak, we need to get this place cleaned up, set up for 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 class to come back here on Monday. Would people with the titles be saying, you know, I'm the leader. Um, OK, I need I need you, you and you to do this. I, uh, what are you doing right now? Can, can you do this, this, this the whole time? Just only taking the leadership position when perhaps you should be the first one with the mop in your hand. Just the first one. Not that not that that there's anything wrong with that. But but is it too small for you, or should it be something that you can do just like anybody else can do? Now, what I have found in a number of instances is people who are really conscious of what they see their pastor or their leader doing in a particular. St- if they see you doing what can be considered the menial task, a lot of times their conscience is 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 peaked, and they'll go and get the mop from you. Yeah. But let that happen. Right. Better to let that happen than than to not be willing to take the mop. Yes. Does that makes sense. Yes. I feel I'm getting a witness now. It's time to take an offering right about now. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a tough thing. Thank you, brother. You got it back right here. Right, right. So when it comes down to leadership, followership, teamwork, then for the followership's sake, just from the followership sake, the question is, what kind of followers do you want? If you could choose the kind of followers that would be a part of your organization, who would you choose? So Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. Anybody read that book? Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, uh, says a, a lot of things. And, and some of the companies that he selected are, n- are interesting, lo- no longer in business. But what they had done is they made the leap from being good organizations to great organizations. Right. Those are red. Here's one of the things he said that has stuck with me from the very first day. I read that while I was in my doctoral program at Regent University uh, between 01 and 05. One of the things that stuck with me, it still sticks with me. I, I probably have quoted a million times by now. He said the old adage that people are your greatest asset turns out to not be true. Write that down. He said the old adage that people are your greatest asset turns out to not be true. People, quote, end quote, people are not your greatest asset. The right people are let's make sure you get this we're going to talk about it for about two seconds the old adage that people are your greatest asset turns out to not be true this is, this is somebody who's not a theologian this is somebody who's looking at, at corporate organizations multi-million dollar organizations he says the old adage that people are your greatest asset turns out to not be true people are not your greatest asset the right people are alright let's, 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 let's break this down if we can who are the right people? That's not rhetorical. Help me out. Workers. workers. Who said that? Workers. How do you qualify a worker? How, how do you know? If I had something to do, I have to get somebody else. This is more personal. I have to get somebody that might have um, the attitude to learn. That's number one.
1: Number two, that he or she has been doing that. And then number three, how fast she can do it. So I will know it by the time when I tell her, ask her to help her. And I agree with you in terms, like attitude of a leader makes it more important. The way you ask a person to help you, that terminology has, has something to do that somebody can help you. Second thing that I found out, is when you tell them that if they are a part of it, that you are the same level. Mm. There's no up, there's no down. Mm. Number three, what I found out is anything results of us. Of course, you can glory to God. But that good part of it is it's we, not me. Mm. So I think in that area,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I can see How people Stick
0: with me And help me Like volunteers like Because people. you share and if You will say mm-hmm. I'm not a leader mm-hmm. We are volunteers In
1: all these We mm-hmm. to do
0: this mm-hmm.
1: Whatever people tell telling us It's not me It's us mm-hmm. So I think You have to give credit, We're to, credit to, to
0: the people that, that work for you And I found it very surprising. I'd go to work for you I go to work for you all day, all day, right yeah. there. Did I see a hand? I saw, I kinda, you might have been moving your hair, but I saw a hand, and that might be to police me. I, know, I see hands start so moving like. <laughs> they were out. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, I have just found that the right type of people are coachable. They're yeah, coachable, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, so probably more of my responsibility comes in the corporate American world, but it carries over to the church, too, right? We've all had people who are like, oh, I. I know, I know. I know you know, but can you look for you no, don't know? Right, you right know. for a minute, yeah. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. Y'all should see her face, man. That is, that was, like, so real for her right then. I'm like, y'all oh, man. I could feel the, ex- I mean, I, I, you were talking to somebody. I just felt that. I was like, yeah, that's been a real conversation at some point. No, no, that was a real conversation right there. So having these qualified workers. So, like a used car dealer, most of the people who come to our church—not saying that they were used—but they, they come with their stuff and other people's problems, right? When they say you buy a used car, you're buying somebody else's problems, in a sense. Most of the time, we get rid of cars like, man, that thing is acting. i not trade that car in. What do you think the next person is going to get? <laughs> right? It's not like the dealer knows everything that's, that happened to that car. Even, even, what's the Fox thing that you can, that it doesn't record every incident that happened with that car, right? And so when they come to your church, some of them come pre-qualified, which is great. They know some stuff. But are they willing to learn some stuff? As it relates to the culture of your organization. That's one of the biggest things, right? The fit into the organization. So when we're talking about this followership, we're talking about qualification to follow. And so all of us as leaders recognize that there is a certain type of person we would love to have, a person who is willing to do the assignment, a person who's enthusiastic. But on the other hand, we talk about leaders. Well, then is the leader committed? The followers coming in, enthusiastic, willing to follow. Is the leader committed to the common good, as my sister was saying, rather than self-interest? That's a hard thing, even in the church, because we have visions. God gives us things to do. We see we're trying to be stewards of it. And that's the big word right there. Right. Steward is steward means it's not yours. Responsible, but not yours. You're responsible, but it's not yours. Right. Uh, if you're renting an apartment, the building is for your use because of the agreement. But the building is not yours. Right. So the goal is to take care of it as though it was yours. And that's what a steward does. So as a leader, God gives us churches, gives us opportunities. We do these certain things. But at the same time, how do we make sure that we have the right kind of leaders and the right kind of followers? And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. All right. So we all have to be firm, even as leaders in our beliefs. Every follower wants, whether they like it 100 percent or not, wants that leader to be firm in their beliefs. Don't want them all over the place. All right. They may not agree with everything you say or do, but they're but they're wanting you to be in that place. So Daft, in his book, um, Leadership Challenge, indicates that there is at least uh, six, seven qualities of that perfect leader, that leader that's doing all of the right things. And to that mean... He has he or she has to have these qualities in operation either simultaneously or at least on an ongoing basis. I'll just give it to you if you can't see it. So intention. How intentional as as I left off in the last screen? How intentional is that leader? How how much, if you will, personal responsibility and integrity? Oh, that funny word integrity. Huh. Are we integral as leaders? Right. Are do we do what we tell our people not to do? can't get any amens right now but that's all right that's all right that's all right because I know how it's you know your humanity will fight you just like their humanity fights them and we have to have a prayer life just like we're suggesting they have a prayer life am I right yes. all right so in all of that we're trying to keep this balance going so that we can remain effective right in fact I say this let me if you want to write this down I say this because it's true and I find myself even as as a leader in the, in the realms I'm in I have to be aware of it so in terms of t- integrity watch this Gosh, it's a tough one. In terms of integrity, it takes a lifetime to gain it. Takes seconds to lose it. Takes two lifetimes to get it back. Work that one for a little bit. Takes a lifetime to gain it. Takes how many seconds? Just about a second to lose it. But then two lifetimes to get it back. What's in the church realm? Why did I say two lifetimes? Yeah? In terms of why? Why? Because the church is typically forgiving, not forgetting. Forgiving, not forgetting. If forgetting were part of the equation, we'd be much further along. But because it happened, whatever the indiscretion was happened, they're forgiving and allow you to return to something. But they may not remind you of it verbally, but their actions tell you that they're reminded of it because they're not as responsive as they used to be. Right? That's a big one. Integrity. So whatever we do, folks, hold on to that, right? Go for it. Go for it. Life of integrity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so I don't know if anybody will ever again. I hope, I hope it's us. I don't know if anybody again will hold that same level of response from America like that. The world, but certainly in America. President after president, all, oh. Thank God for the man's life. I saw another hand a moment ago. Yes, ma'am. So I guess- By all means. Yeah, they're highly suspicious, highly suspicious. Some of the members that I've had in, in the churches I've been involved with come to the church highly suspicious of me, uh, no matter how hard I try. And sometimes it takes years to prove them otherwise. And I've had individuals that uh, told me years later that exact case that they didn't trust leadership. Didn't trust pastors. This one did this, and so I told the used car scenario. I, I apologize if anybody's used car dealer. I don't mean to say that. I, I bought some, but they 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 brought they brought their they brought their baggage with them at each church they joined, and each time it was only getting worse and worse and worse. And so by the time they were not useless to me, but injured, wounded, and it was difficult to overcome some of those wounds, uh, some of those injuries. I think there's authenticity? In mm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Waters, yeah. waters uh, I think many of us uh, we tend not to be transparent Yeah. but I have found that these, the more transparent I can be the more empowering it is for people who are carrying that baggage the more they will relate you're saying everything I need to say I think guys we got we can hold this we'll be in great shape we'll be better than we are let's just say we'll be better than we've been if we can be mindful of this kind of stuff alright Going around that circuit real quick. So we go to the next screen. Change. Are we, are we open to change? Or is it always, this is the way we've always done it? How many pastors, how many churches? Do, in fact, the longer you're in existence, the harder it is to change. Right? You've been a church for X amount of years, organization for X amount of years, and, and you have great ideas. You've got new people coming in who haven't been churchy, but they have great ideas of how to reach the world and all that. Are you willing to take that on? Or are we just going to keep doing stuff the way we've been doing it? First of all, it's working. I get it. But is there something else we could do? Change. Right. Uh, shared purpose, as I was saying earlier, what I want to do. Is this something you might want to do? I'm, this is something I want to do. Is this something you might want to do? Because if it's shared, it's a lot easier to overcome the barriers because it's not only you who wants to do it. They want to do it. Right. Um, followers. Got to got to have followers or you're not a leader. Don't call yourself a leader if you don't have followers. Right. And then influence, which like we talked about earlier. All of those things speak back to this thing called leader. So. Here's my point, and the shameless plug back to the book. I spent a lot of time in the book talking about, uh, wow, let it go all the way in there. House. I couldn't have done that by myself. If I wanted to um, talking about values. Oh, so, so here's the key in the real meaning of leadership. This is what I'm finding to be true. I'm asking you, as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, to prove me otherwise. If you share values, leadership becomes incredibly easy. E-harmony. Heard of it? Do you know the instrument that they use for these couples to be matched is 100 percent about value matching? Did you know that was one of the reasons why it's so successful as comparison to some other. And I, you may not agree whether that's a good way to meet meet your husband or meet your wife. But for some, it's working. I have married a couple, uh, performed a marriage, say performed a wedding for a couple that that met. And to me, they were as far as the east is from the west. And technically they were in terms of how the regions they were originally from. One was from Jamaica by way of Canada, and the other one was from Oklahoma by way of Oklahoma. (laughs) And um, their two worlds met in eHarmony. What I found is, is that if they were honest and sincere in their answers to the values questions, what's most important to you? How do you feel about? On a scale of one to ten, if they were really sincere about that, it extrapolates that information and puts it here. And when other people do the same thing and answer the same type of question, honestly, it begins to say this person has similar values as you do. Maybe this person might be a match to you. And that's what they begin to do. So in our churches, if we could do a values matching before people join, I think they'd stay longer. We don't have time for that. That's the truth. We don't have time for that. On a Sunday morning, on any given Sunday morning, any given Wednesday night or whenever your church meets, one of the reasons people are there, obviously, is to hear the word of God. But whether they stay there is going to be a value scenario. They came there because the word of God drew them there. But whether they stay there would be a value. Did you know, pastors, did you know that people make a decision about staying at your church or coming back to your church in the first two to three minutes of, of driving into your parking lot? Did you all know that first? <laughs> they haven't even heard your praise and worship team yet. Haven't been in the building yet. Haven't been greeted by the greeters yet. Haven't sat down in the pew or the aisle yet. Haven't heard that wonderful message you've been preparing for the last three weeks. They've already decided whether they're coming back or not. Right. Just by how they drive on that property, because in their mind, values are being connected. And if they can make those connections, they are already making a determination whether they'll be back. All right. So. A principle, standard, of quality considered inherently worthwhile or desirable. The root meaning valor, which means strength. They give people the power to take action. Often deep and emotional and often difficult to change, as we said earlier. So a little bit more on these values. How do we do the things that we do? Why do we do the things that we do? That speaks a lot to how and when, in terms of the real meaning of leadership, people will begin to join you in your leadership efforts. I see a hand there. Couldn't tell if I see a hand. All right. Let me make sure. All right. So the most important thing, the most important single element of any corporate congregational culture, however, is the value system. So think about it for a quick second. And I'm going to ask you to write something down. You don't have to share it with us, but I'm going to ask you to write down three values that are important to you and your church. Write those three things down on a piece of paper. Write down three values that are important to you and your church. Three things. Three things. See if you can think of three things that are important. I know you're going to say the Bible. You should start with that, probably. But after that, what are two other things that are important as values to you and your church? Think about it. Write something down. Activate your brain on that one. Come on. How am I doing on time? Six minutes. Okay, good. (laughs) Right. You got it? How many got three things? If you want to, I'll take ask two or three of you to share. Let's see if there's some congru- congruence, connection. Okay. Um, the three things that we have is uh, family, relationships, and then there's this
2: growing
1: youthness,
0: like you got to be young to be there kind of thing, which has a pro and con. It? Sure it does. Sure it does. Yeah. Thank you for that. Three others? Love, truth, and mercy. Love, truth and mercy, love, truth, and mercy, I like this, use these things, stay with love, truth, and mercy, somebody else, come on, everybody wrote something, tell me, don't be, yeah, way in the back, on the corner, right there, uh, Bible, ministry. Bible, ministry, ah, okay, okay, perfect, perfect, all right, Okay. Uh, family. Family. Uh, giving emissions and, and souls. Salvation. Family. Giving the missions and souls. Salvation. All right. Front table. I'm trying to get a few more. Just to see some alignment. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Miss Lynn? Love, lift. Love, live, and lead. Yes. Sit right next to her. Perfect. Perfect. You're leading right where I want to go right next. Cause I got like th- three minutes now. Alright, another exercise, real quick. Real quick. Everybody got something to write with? Write on. Using a tablet, tap away with your fingers, your phone. You ready? I want you to the best of your ability write your mission statement, your church's mission statement. Best of your ability. Dun 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 Let's see. Let's see. How much of it do you know? Pastor, your associate pastor sitting next to you, do they know your mission? Do people know your mission? Pastor, do you know your mission? What's your mission statement? All right. My time is getting short. I'll tell you why I'm doing this. Now I'm asking you, with the three things you wrote as your values, how do those values meet that mission statement? And what I'm suggesting, has anybody ever, I know we don't see them as much in in terms of repair shops anymore. Cars are much better than they were. But has anybody ever, you yourself, drove it or drove behind a car that was out of alignment? What does it look like when you're driving behind them? The front wheels are going one way, the back wheels back wheels are going another. When there's misalignment, it makes it tough. The car will roll, but you're wearing out the tires. The church will function, but you're wearing out the people. Right? So what we need to find is, a, is congruence and alignment between what we actually value and what we state as our values. And those need to be repeated over and over and over. It's been years since I've I've been the senior pastor of my church, but I still remember because we repeated every Sunday to help people become transformed into the likeness of Christ through ministries and service through ministries and services. Boom. We said it all the time. Guess what? That's something I believe, something my people together believe. And we said it all the time. Helping people become transformed is a tough thing to do. And if leadership was easy, everybody would be doing it. That's why you've been selected by God. You sometimes, as I said this morning, may wonder why he selected you. But you've been skillfully and wonderfully crafted to help others come into the body and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To have a life filled with the glory of God. Just like it's happening for you, it's supposed to happen for others. And guess what? No matter what it looks like, the best is yet to come. I really believe it. Do you believe that? All right, questions, questions. Questions talk. i got about maybe three or four or five minutes for question. Ten minutes for question. Less than. Let's talk about some stuff happening at, at your organization. Some stuff you're, you'd like to share. Yes, ma'am. So what, what are some tips you can give in regards to getting the church into in one set of values? Good. So I think you start with your core. Whoever they are. Is it one people, three people, five people, ten people? Because if they don't buy in, forget the rest. It's not that Forgetting the rest says I'm not I'm not concerned about the general congregation. It's that the leadership of the general congregation are not helping to repeat the message. So I think you've got to start with your core uh, and then concentric circles out from that core begin to speak to them about what that mission is. So one of the buy ins as I said earlier, if they don't share it already, it's tough to get them there. So find people who already share the vision. That's what you start with.
2: Is there any relationship between how we change the value system of a young adult from the
0: damage from childhood mm. and the value system of the group, mm-hmm. which has had all these unhealthy interactions between leaders and other churches? I'm not sure if there's correlation. I haven't done the studies to find that out. But in my own retrospect, uh, the things that we grew up with, the things that impacted us early, that either helped us or injured us, that's thank you for the Jesus factor, the X factor. Right? I call it the Jesus factor. If he doesn't help fix us some some of that to get us to a near healthy state, if you will, um, then then we would like to hope that the groups they involve themselves with in the church would help them as a group begin to progress past that. Sometimes the church groups are not healthy and that just re-injures, takes them back to a place they don't want to be. So my point being is that. Um, Jesus is obviously the X factor, number one factor that has to be involved in that. And the next thing is sometimes we have to break these groups down and talk about stuff. Re- again, the values. If we don't talk about it, they may think that you don't that you don't own it. I think
3: sometimes you have to create a core group. So you, you have to mess with your people a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. we just came in as lead pastors. We have to kind of upset that apple cart to be able to. Just so they can hear you in your back. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
3: So I was just. And you, you you know you can try to create your cast your vision and mm-hmm. give your mission statement. Mm-hmm. but sometimes you have to start with upsetting the Apple cart and kind of breaking down all of those groups and mm-hmm. pulling in those individuals and helping them heal mm-hmm. before they can adopt something new. Yep. So I think sometimes we say, well, what do you do with broken people will you mm. help walk with them to healing mm. let Jesus come in mm. and then it's miraculous once you've invested that time mm. that core group is stronger than it could ever have been mm. if you would have tried to have given a vision it's just a
0: thought yeah right? I like it I, I like sometimes it sometimes you're mm-hmm. like well what do you do with this group of misfits well you love on them and you help them heal and you yeah. show them how Jesus can restore them yeah. and they give you more than you could have ever imagined and the 12 disciples were misfits oh yeah, yeah. were they not I mean had issues man They had issues and God used them, but they had issues. Um, But somehow it's it's like Jesus is interested in people who are not perfect by religious standards, but he can use them. And and to his purpose, uh, as they draw close to him, he helps them. Yes, he did. Very good. Very good. How are we doing on time? About two minutes? I'm, I'm done? No, okay. Got I, I got time. Yes, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, going back to your, uh, your question about what do you look for in effective leaders, hmm. obviously, pink elephant in the room, I'm one of the youngest guys here. <laughs> and at our church, as well, um, I'm one of the youngest leaders. Well, I am the youngest leader there. I'm the youth pastor. And so as far as looking for youth staff, I found that what I'm looking for in those leaders is um, who is going to be able to accept the leadership that I bring forth, even though it's sure not perfect. And it's still emerging, and I'm still learning all the time. But um, who is going to, uh, like it talks about in First or Second Timothy, wherever it is, don't look down upon you because you're young. And so yeah, I'm trying to look for that in, in leaders. And the people that I have around me are awesome, but they're all older than me, a lot older than me. And uh, so old, they could be my parents or grandparents that are on the team. And so it, it's really interesting as a young leader to try and find those people that um, that are, that are going to be able to be uh, able to be able to accept my leadership, I guess. Yep, yep. Even though I don't have as much to offer
0: as some of them do, mm-hmm. um, it, it's been an interesting process so far to try and find this. And I find there's no, not much different than going into the work field. Uh, I have graduates I'm talking about right now in my Capstone class. They are graduating in a couple of weeks. They are going to be in, most of them are going to be in a work environment to some degree hostile in the sense that um, their elders, if you will, are, are still employable and still employed. Yet they have to come in with some sense of humility to say, I know a lot about academic things and I have, I can read, write, do arithmetic, and I can I can logically write a three to five page, ten page paper and all those kinds of things. But what I bring in energy and what I have in terms of lack of, are you willing to mentor me versus tormentor mentor? Uh, are you willing to work with me so that we can grow together? What I bring to energize this organization with you, are you willing to also mentor me to help us both? I help you, you help me. I bring you the energy and the energy and the strength, and you bring me your wealth of depth of knowledge that you've had and together. So that's what I'm suggesting that needs to happen in all the churches. We need the youth, but are those who have been in it senior willing to also? I'm willing to accept the youthful leadership if the youthful leadership is also willing if you will, to submit to some of the wisdom I might be able to offer them. So they don't reinvent the wheel on a lot of things that could be helpful. So I think the two, but it has to be a healthy conversation. And the pastor or who are the leaders in the church need to set the atmosphere for that conversation to be had. All right, maybe one more? Anybody else? All right, so last thing on the screen. Yes, ma'am. I'm oh, no, microphone.
1: You mentioned something about forgiving, really not forgetting. Forgetting may be in words, but the actions does not correspond to that. How could you correct that? How could, because there are times that in a church setting, if you are just a follower, you are just kind of hesitant to say it. Now you wait for the church meeting, I think there should be some exchange of that that might be about the best things, but I do not find that now. How would you approach that? Not exactly to change someone up there, maybe to correct, or maybe I'm wrong, but if your actions does not correspond with, let's say, I forgive you, but what you are saying is different from what you are doing, and there is some sort of discrimination somewhere. So what advice could you give us?
0: So with fear and trembling, right? Um, Mrs. London and brother London, we were talking about on the way here today, um, and I told you about my my um, my not having having arguments, right? Uh, you well know, yeah. We sure we did, sure we did. But in the spirit of fellowship, we worked some of our stuff out because she was aware in some cases, my wife, and and I've been aware in some cases as husband that I had forgiven some stuff. But still carrying the unforget unforgetting part. And so, to the church, the hard part is, in terms of fear and trembling, I don't know if we live in a society where people don't confront or carefrontation. I'm playing with words right now, because you know everything's Christianese, right? So, carefrontation is am I willing to approach you as pastor and say, Pastor, I want to let you know X, Y, or is, can the pastor say to the members, or to the leader say to the member, I, I'm getting this. I know we use the word vibe. It's not spiritual. I'm getting this sense from you. Are we all right? Is everything okay? And sometimes that's a that's a vulnerable place because you're probably about to open a can of worms. I'm just telling you. You're probably about to open a can of worms. That hurt because the person's still hurt from what happened. They may need to release some of that hurt. So those actions that are apparently uh, objectionable in a sense. can be dealt with, and that's what I'm saying. In, in our churches, sometimes I don't know if we're just in a different place in our churches. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, wanna, we don't want to face that stuff. So we circumnavigate it and avoid it by all means. Yeah, culture. culture. Yeah, culture's culture. creeped in on us. Mm-hmm. Culture's creeped in on the church. My God. For for to have yep. EI. Yep. 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 EI. Yep. and, deal with, and mm-hmm. Realize what people's emotional state Yep. Is. Yep. Yep. And in my world, I call it EI over IQ. EI over IQ. It's great to have smart people around you in your organization. You need them. God knows you need them. But if your emotional intelligence is not equitable, equivalent to, or perhaps in more cases, you're going to miss a lot of things you should have been able to deal, deal with because you're not emotionally attached. So IQ will get you the job. EQ will keep the job. Tell your folks that when you go back to church tomorrow. IQ will get you in the door because you're smart. But if, you st- if you're going to stay, you better get smart with people. All right, y'all. Can I hang out with y'all a little bit longer? Y'all want to hang out, come out to the next session. Uh, We'll be here. We're drawing down from a big picture of this all the way down. So to me, this is the real meaning. Uh, If you like our book, get it outside. If it's still there, if not, go on Amazon, get it. Uh, I also ask you that if you learn some things about the book that you think could help, because we're thinking about the third edition and fixes, please email me. Say, Hawkins, you said some stuff here. I'm not sure. Email me. And uh, then I can make those changes next time we go around. Will y'all do that for me? All right, thank you guys for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.